Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Friends, this is the message portion of the service when we open the scriptures and listen for what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to God's people, the church. So I invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading right from the end of chapter 11 and into the beginning of chapter 12 up through about verse 9 or so. It's the story of Nathan the prophet confronting David, King David. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock to prepare for the traveler. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to talk about the sin of racism. Such a nice, light and fun topic, right? I know. I know we don't want to talk about it, but we need to talk about it. We need to let it be known amongst ourselves and amongst this community that all people are God's creation. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. I want to talk with you about racism, but I'm not interested in using the word racist. Uh, First of all, very few people, if anyone, thinks of themselves as racist. Uh, I, I want us to see our part in the problem and and not immediately assume we have nothing to do with it. Also, the term racist has been thrown around a lot lately. Have you noticed? It's been used to label people and to point fingers and to blame, and and that doesn't help any of us. I want to talk about racism, racism, that insidious cultural disease that tears communities apart along the lines of skin color that shows up in our hearts as prejudice or resentment or fear or ignorance, that shows up in our society as apathy or privilege or discrimination. Today is the final week in our series, Covenant Relationships. Friends, this book, the Bible, testifies to a God who wants us to have relationships with God through Jesus Christ and also with each other. Relationships rooted in the promises of God so that together we can be the body of Christ, all of us, men and women, old and young, rich and poor, and even black and white. As a mostly white church in the evangelical tradition, we, Timberlake, we need to get honest 
about our shortcomings. So I want to start today with talking about two ways the evangelical church has failed. And then I want to end with some thoughts about how living out our faith might just bear the fruit of justice and of healing and of peace. One way that the evangelical church has failed is in our misreading of the Bible. We have opened this book and read it, but we have misunderstood exactly our place in it. Now, good students of the Bible, when you read it, you will locate yourself in the story. And I know a lot of you do this already, and this is good. When you read scripture, you say, who am I in this story? What is it saying to me about my life? Now, the problem happens when we do that inaccurately. So one example we talked about earlier in this series, our tendency to read the Bible as if we are autonomous individuals rather than as a member of the community. When we think of faith as strictly something between me and Jesus while we neglect our neighbors, that's one way we misread the Bible. A related misreading of the Bible is what writer Erna Hackett has called Disney princess theology. Disney princess theology. Let me try to explain what she means by that. You know when you watch a Disney movie and you're enjoying it and you tend to identify with the prince or the princess and you say, oh yeah, that's, that's me. And, and you relate to that character. We do the same thing when we open the Bible. And so when we read the stories of the disciples, we see ourselves as Peter, but we hardly ever see ourselves as Judas. And we imagine that we are the Israelites escaping Egypt but we never imagine ourselves as Pharaoh. Or we imagine ourselves that we are the brave Queen Esther, but never the evil Haman. We identify with the hero, but not the villain. Now, all humans do that, friends. The problem is, sometimes we are not the hero. Sometimes, in real life, we are the villain. Me? You mean me? Yes. You, friends. And me too. Me too. So when we read the Bible, we often feel a sense of kinship with the oppressed and with the marginalized, and that's good. But when the Bible criticizes the powerful and the wealthy people of the world, sometimes it's actually talking about us. Think about this. Think about all the power that we have, you and I. Most of us are part of the majority population in the most powerful country in the world. We are relatively wealthy, we are well-educated, we have access to health care, and in this sense, when it comes to, say, the story of the Exodus, we have a lot more in common, actually, with the Egyptians than we do with the Israelites. The prophets of God have strong words of condemnation for people in power who do not use their resources to bless others. And that's what the story of King David is about. I wonder if you know the story of King David. King David did a lot of good things, but he also did a lot of bad things. So one day, King David was on the roof of his palace, and across the way, he noticed a very lovely woman on the roof of her house. And so he did a really bad thing. He took some of his messengers and he said, go see that woman over there, she's beautiful. Go and get her for me and bring her back so that uh, he could, how do we put this up? Spend the evening with her. Now this is not good, friends, because this woman, Bathsheba, she was already married. She was married to a man named Uriah. 
Now, Uriah was a soldier in the army, and he was off at war. And so David did another terrible thing. He instructed the officers, put Uriah in the front lines of the battle. And then when the battle gets going, everyone else draw back. So Uriah is left at the front all by himself. And sure enough, when they did that, Uriah was killed. So all at once, King David, King David has broken two of the Ten Commandments. And so we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 12, in which the prophet Nathan is sent by God to go and confront the king about these things. And the way Nathan does this is with a story. He tells a parable so that David can maybe see and get it what he's done. The story goes like this. Nathan said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. Now, the rich man had many flocks and many herds. And he had all kinds of sheep. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. So the rich man has all these sheep. The poor man has just one lamb. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man. And the rich man was loath to take one of his own flock to prepare for the traveler. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest. Okay, so you see what's happening in the story. Rich man has everything. Poor man has just one lamb. The guest comes. The rich man says, I don't want to sacrifice one of my own sheep. I'll just steal the poor man's lamb. So David got it. So the story says, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you to your master's house and your master's wives in your bosom, and if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Okay, let's think about this story. So right away, David recognizes what is wrong that a rich man is stealing from a poor man. And we can all see that. And yet, and yet, David could not recognize that same story in himself. David said, well, yeah, that man deserves to die. That's terrible. And Nathan said, you know what, King David? Actually, you are the man. You are the one who has done what is evil. You have everything, King David. You have... Everything in the kingdom belongs to you, and yet you have gone and taken the wife of another man, and you have had her husband killed. By the way, my childhood best friend was named Nathan, because his parents figured that surely the prophet Nathan was the bravest person in the whole Bible, because he went to confront the king. Friends, you know what can happen when you confront the king, right? When we speak truth to power, it's possible that we lose our lives. In doing so. So when we read this story, when you read this story of King David and of Nathan and of Bathsheba and Uriah, who do you identify with? Maybe we identify with the victim, Uriah. Maybe we identify with Bathsheba and we maybe we just feel like a pawn and someone else is moving us around. Maybe we even identify with the hero, Nathan, right? Brave and courageous. But is there a disciple of Jesus who will read this story and say, yep, King David, that's me. That's me. As we expose the problems of racism and violence and poverty 
In many ways, friends, you and I are like King David. We, white, wealthy, educated Americans, we participate in systems that are unjust. Now, please hear me say this. I'm not saying there is anything wrong with being white or with being wealthy or with being educated or with being American. I am all of those things, and I love my life, and I believe God has blessed me in these ways. What I'm saying to you is what Jesus has said to all of us, and that is, to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. Which brings us to a second failure of the evangelical church, misunderstanding sin. So we misread the Bible. That's one failure. But secondly, we also misunderstand the true nature of sin, particularly because we define it too narrowly. So when the preacher says sin, a lot of us think of actions that we have taken that we shouldn't, something we do. Lie, cheat, steal, say a cuss word in church. (laughs) I love that one, by the way, like God can't hear us on the golf course. Of course. So, Sin is an action, yes, that's true. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Sin is also a condition. It's a sickness of our souls. We were born with it. And so we not only commit acts of sin, we are also sinful. That is the condition of our souls. And the healing for it comes only from the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Also, now this is important. Sin is not only personal, something that I do, something that you do. Sin is also corporate. Sin is not only personal, it's also corporate. Sin is something that families, entire families, are guilty of. Organizations, uh, companies, communities, even whole societies are riddled with sin in our Nature. Now, we bristle at this, particularly as Americans, right? Because we are big on personal responsibility. And we say, you take responsibility for your life, and I take responsibility for my life. We don't like the idea of corporate responsibility, right? Nobody likes it when you're in school and the whole class gets punished because of the behavior of one child. Which is why we hear people these days saying things like, but I never owned slaves, I've heard a lot of people say, but I never owned slaves. Of course, friends, of course you didn't. Uh, The problem with that way of thinking, it fails to acknowledge the systemic nature of racism. It assumes that the effects of slavery, the effects of Jim Crow, the effects of centuries of discrimination in our country are all gone, and that all of that is over and finished. But that's not how sin works, friends. Not according to the Bible, Not according to the Bible. The God of the Bible not only holds us accountable for our personal actions, God also holds us accountable for generational sin, for corporate sin. Okay, so look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations. One form of this generational corporate sin is what we have come to call systemic racism. Systemic racism means that even those of us who are not actively oppressing people of color or couldn't even imagine doing that, 
we participate in or at least benefit from systems in our community that are broken, systems that favor one race of people over another. Okay, so let's put it again in the biblical context. Think about the story of the Exodus. The problem of the Israelites in Egypt was not merely that Pharaoh was a bad guy. Yes, Pharaoh is a terrible guy, right? But the problem was infinitely bigger than that. Many, if not all, of the Egyptians also participated in this system of slavery. Uh, Many, if not all, the Egyptians benefited from this cruel injustice of slavery and oppression and violence. Now, on the positive side of corporate responsibility, we totally get it when it comes to the positive. Okay, so uh, let me give you an example. Remember before COVID when there used to be such a thing as the Summer Olympics, right? So in the summer of 2016, there was a young lady named Simone Biles, and she crushed it in gymnastics. She was incredible. She won gold in vault, in floor, and in the all-around. And we all cheered, didn't we? We all said, yes, she's one of us. We did it. That's what we said. We said, we did it. Now, wait a minute. Did any of us launch ourselves off the vault and do flips and stick the landing? No, no, we didn't, did we? But, but we identify with Simone Biles as fellow Americans. We recognize all of us have contributed to a culture that has helped produce such an amazing athlete, such an amazing gymnast. Now, what is true on the positive is also true on the negative. We bear corporate responsibility for corporate sin. We are complicit in the evils of the past as well as the present. And just so you know, this is not Pastor Brad's idea, friends. Uh, The Bible bears this out. When the Apostle Paul talks about the problem of sin in his letters in the New Testament, he speaks of the common problem of all of humanity, that although sin came into the world through one man, it has affected all of us. And so in Romans 5, he says this, Uh, Verse 17, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one. One man's trespass led to condemnation for all. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now, I am not trying to shame you, friends. Not at all. The purpose of this sermon is not to shame you, but... I do need for us to acknowledge our guilt. We are guilty of personal sin, yes. We are also guilty of systemic generational sin. Because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion for all through that one. So by virtue of you being a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve... We are dead in our sin. And we might protest with the Lord. Lord, I never ate the forbidden fruit. But according to the Bible, see, that does not make you innocent. You are the descendant of those who did. Every human who has ever been born is guilty by virtue of being a human being. That's the way sin works, friends. All of us had a share in the sin that caused Jesus to die on the cross. You understand that, right? We weren't there. 
We didn't crucify him, but all of us contributed to his crucifixion by the sin that we share in. Which means for white Christians in America to say, well, I have nothing to do with the problem of racism in this country is simply unbiblical. It's unbiblical. The Bible teaches corporate sin, corporate responsibility. Okay, let's talk about solutions. What can we do so that our faith in Jesus might bear the fruit of justice and of healing and of peace? Let me suggest three things, okay? Three things. First, when you read the Bible, read it as if sometimes you might be the villain. Read it as if the reality is sometimes we are the bad guy. Now, King David, we know King David was a man after God's own heart. But in today's story, he's the bad guy. And what was required of King David? Do you remember? Repentance. Repentance. Friends, repent of your sin. Repent of your part in systems of injustice in this nation. Second, notice and acknowledge systems that are broken. When you see them, when you become aware of them, say it out loud. Be aware of the experience of other people. Investigate institutions. Make informed decisions about which corporations you support. Make informed decisions about which political candidates you vote for. Third, remember the covenant, friends. Remember the covenant God has established between us and all the people God has made. Remember that the culmination of this covenant is the feast in God's eternal kingdom, the heavenly banquet where all God's children will come to the table. People with black skin and people with brown skin and people with white skin and people of all shades and hues. And so I wonder if we might go ahead and start getting ready for the heavenly banquet. You could invite a person of color over to your dinner table. Better make it an outdoor dinner at the patio, right? So we don't spread the coronavirus. Have a family of color over to your house. Or if you are a person of color, have a white person over to your house. And let's see what it is like to be the family of God together. Friends, I know this is hard. The painful truth is that we are guilty. We have participated in systems and communities that have discriminated against other human beings. The bad news is our sin is corporate. But in the mystery of God's love, the good news is our salvation is too. Our salvation is also corporate. You see, because you can be saved not by what you have done, but by what Jesus has done for you. By what Jesus has done on your behalf, you are condemned by your connection to Adam, but you can be saved by your connection to Jesus through faith in the resurrection of his body. Let's go back to Romans 5, 17 one more time. I want you to notice I only read part of the verse before, and I'm going to read the whole thing this time. Look at the rest. Romans 5, 17. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, 
much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If we insist, I'm only responsible for what I've done, then friends, surely, surely we're lost because we cannot save ourselves. The whole structure of the gospel of Christ is based on corporate sin and corporate responsibility, which makes what Jesus did so extraordinary because he is truly the only one who is innocent, and yet he died so that you can live. Let God's people say amen. Amen.